Thanks for tuning in to the Canadian Tech Guy podcast brought to you by Sanford Advisors. In addition to our weekly tech news, we are going to do fairly regular interviews of Canadian entrepreneurs. In this first interview, we have Bruce Linton, the founder and former CEO of Canopy Growth, also known as Tweed. We discuss his entrepreneurial journey and what motivates him to keep pushing him forward. Please enjoy. Well, thanks for coming in today, Bruce. No problem. Thanks for the coffee. Of course. Um, and, you know, obviously, there's been a lot said recently about Canopy Growth and, and your recent departure from there and everything. But I actually want to go back a little bit further, start on more and focus on more of your entrepreneurial journey. I think it's going to be interesting to folks. So um, maybe let's start really early. Like when you're growing up, did you have a particular idea of what you wanted to do? Yeah, it's kind of weird. I um I think part of the thing that I grew up with was uh, we had a small farm and my parents both worked. And so I grew up with this um, must work mentality, must help, must contribute, must clean the eggs, must clean out the pig pens, must work. Right. And so I didn't actually know where to apply my work, but I always knew work. Yeah. And so um, I didn't really understand what an entrepreneur was, but when you grow up around farmers, they're all entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and so as I went out, uh, and did university. I still, when I finished university, <clears throat> it took me six years to get my four-year course done because I got involved in everything, but right. I still didn't know what I should do as a job uh, on the day I graduated. Yeah. Um, but I started identifying people I thought, uh, wow, that, that behavior I like, and the behaviors I liked all the time always ended up being entrepreneurs. Right. And so I actually went to work at a company because of the entrepreneurial leader. And when I watched his style of leadership, I'd been captain of hockey and president of this and that. And I thought that way of leading, where you um, look after other people before you look after yourself, yeah. where you try to assemble teams uh, with energy, that was kind of my thing. And so in big full circle, yesterday I had lunch uh, with a gentleman who, when I was starting Canopy, I said, or Tweed then, I said, you know, I need to have a lot of money, and that means I got to talk to a lot of rich people, and I know quite a few, but not all of them. And so I asked this guy, Steve. I said, Steve, give me some uh, meetings with folks you know. I want to talk to them about cannabis. It turns out he's about 61 years old, a American kind of draft dodger tech guy who really likes cannabis as a product. And so he introduced me to a bunch of people. We did not get any of the money from them, but we, we became friends. And so yesterday at lunch, we were talking about you know, kind of what's wrong with uh, my brain? Why am I an entrepreneur? Why can't I just go get a job with the government and be happy? Right. And uh, we kind of looked through it and we said, there's uh, sort of four or five things that create an entrepreneur. Yes. Um, and you can play them forward or backward. Like the last one we concluded was you need to be lucky. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, people say, well, the harder work, the more luck you'll get. But I would say uh, our definition of lucky was the more frequently you go up, or every time you go up to bat, swing as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. Like you're not trying as an entrepreneur to have a job just for you. You're swinging to try and get a home run. Yeah. And if you swing hard every time, you might hit it really far. Yeah. But we also talked about the fact that um, you have to have energy. If you're going to be the leader, if you want people to actually come to be with you and to love uh, what the company is, they have to actually trust, like, and identify with the leader. Mm -hmm. So you actually have to be good at that. Yeah. Comes back to communication. And then when you're looking for people you want to work with um, as your core partners, 
we said, you know, they have to have energy, they have to have IQ, and they have to have integrity. And so if those sort of four or five ingredients come together and you swing really hard, yeah. sometimes you crush it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you look like a fool and fall down, but, you know, I think that the entrepreneur part is uh, when you swing super hard and miss it, right. you get back up and think, I'm for sure going to hit it really hard the next time. Right. And uh, so we had a nice lunch chatting about it because, you know, Canopy was a pretty good hit. Um, I think uh, Ruckify is going to be a pretty good hit. Yeah. I think um, some of the marijuana things that I'm going to do in the next month are going to go from little singles to hits. Mm-hmm. And I think with Martello, um, we've had nice little hits. Now what we need to do is just keep swinging and getting bigger. But, you know, um, being an entrepreneur is not, it's not really a really smart thing to be because you can get fired. But because you're an entrepreneur, you have no idea that you actually have vacation days. Right. You can take time off. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know. It's Friday morning at about 8 o'clock. Uh, I'm in your business office, and I feel more relaxed than if I was sitting at my kitchen table. Right. And so I think um, I've joked over the years that they have a 100% accurate method by which they can diagnose entrepreneurs. Right. Regrettably, there's no cure. <laughs> it's true. And do you think, I mean, you mentioned, was money a motivator for you? Like, what, what, what was the kind of, what was the goal to say, okay, I've made it as an entrepreneur? Like, was it the creation of the business? Was it the creation, was it the creation of wealth? What, what? It's weird, right? It's like, um, for me, it's like drawing lines in sand. Right. You say, wow, um, if I can get to have this chunk of money or I can get um, this many people working with me mm-hmm. or if I can get business in this many countries. Yeah. And as soon as you do that, then you draw another line. Right. And so I have no clue <laughs> if there's an actual uh, achievement outcome that at that point in time you go, oh, terrific. Right. I have now done it. Because what's happened is I found that... Um, each thing you get, as soon as you get to that line, it's almost uh, anxiety-inducing. Yeah. It almost makes you go, good God, what am I going to do now? Yep. And then you start panicking to figure out the next five lines to draw, and you're doing them. So for me, no, I, um, you know, probably the best thing I like, I would say, having created and led, I don't know how many businesses, maybe four, five, or six. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I like the most is when you bump into people from a prior era. Right. And they reflect that as the best place they'd ever been. That's good. Yeah, it's a reflection on you. That but that, then you go, yeah. oh, that's pretty good. I like yeah. that. And the, but they remember details of, yeah. you know, cross keys and what they loved about blah, 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 blah. Right. And you're going, shit, that, that was quite a while ago. Like, you, yeah. You've had like 20 years to have had a better one, and that was the best one you'd ever been at. Okay, yeah. good. Well, I, I kind of like the, the lines analogy because I, I heard recently the co-founder of Pixar talk about when they made it, when they released Toy Story, and it was his 20-year life dream, and he was depressed for a year yeah. because it was like, okay, this is achievement. Where do I go from here? And he hadn't, he hadn't moved the line to to use your analogy. Yeah, no, I, I could see that. Like, and you know, as a person, when something extraordinary and unlikely to ever uh, be that amazing again in your life occurs. Yeah. So imagine those folks who made to make Toy Story, how the tech that had to happen, everything had to, yeah. and when it changed the world, like I still remember that. If you said, name me the three most uh, 
specific movies you recall and be blown away by. Uh, Toy Story was one of them because I was fascinated about how amazing it was, how different it was, and how like it just like I like I'd never seen this before. Yeah, yeah. The t- the, the just the tech and everything when no, it came that, out was right. But I remember, but I remember the yeah. first. I mean, I like yeah. thinking this is like you'd heard how long the rendering process and stuff, but yeah. you're just blown away. Um, no, I can imagine when that was done. What do you do next is a major question, yeah, right? Exactly. And I face that right now, right? Like uh, the challenge of what to do next after you take something from an idea mm-hmm. to twenty billion dollars and about market cap in six yeah. years. Yeah. Um, that doesn't frequently occur. In fact, I'm not sure it's ever occurred in Canadian history. Right. And there aren't very many U.S. examples of the size and value of a company occurring in that time frame. Yeah. So you say, well, I think I'll just go do that again. Um, that's surely not going to likely happen. So you have to think about what are the lines you draw? What's the next thing that's yeah. interesting and how do you measure it? Well, and maybe we can narrow in there a little bit. Like, obviously, when you guys did the first Constellation Brands deal to the second deal, the, the, the multiple of value in such a short period of time was even more accelerated, right? I think the first deal was... was it was 19.9% of the company. Yeah. For effectively 490 million Canadian dollars, yeah, and approximately 12 months later, having dutifully worked and done something obviously of value, yeah, uh, they paid 10 times more, five billion, so more than 10 times right. more, for two percent less, yeah, 17 percent. One and so how do you I, I reflect upon that as a fairly productive year. It was a productive year, but how do you so you get over that year and you you've hit that milestone? Is there any of that? Uh, is there any of that, you know, not depression, but um, uh, reflection that kind of brings you down a bit, or is you straight away like you close the deal and you're thinking about the next line where? It um, so in one year we did that and we got five billion dollars for seventeen percent of the company. Mm-hmm. We didn't even make a T-shirt. Didn't have a party. Right. Didn't even get a picture of a check. We just went right to work. Right. And I would say, uh, whatever I do in the next. Things, how I influence Martello or Rockefeller, some of the other marijuana companies. One of the things that I am not good at and I got to get better at is pausing at a milestone and getting people to appreciate it. And celebrate it, yeah. Because I can't go back now and yeah. say, hey guys, yeah. like from a year ago, let's make some t shirts with a $5 billion check on them. Yeah. And let's do that. It's over. But yeah. that, that, you miss that window. Yeah. And so sometimes um, being sufficiently patient to put down the pens and say, hey, folks, let's just pause and reflect on this and let's make some T-shirts or something. Um, I think with $5 billion, we could have made some T-shirts. Right. But we didn't. <laughs> and so, and so is that a, a thing, kind of personal criticism of yourself? Like, is it because you are, you're very fast moving, you I, 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 sort of like you've got to appreciate, slow down and appreciate sometimes or? Yeah, like um, today is Friday. Now 8:15, and I've only had one conversation with a family member today about. Do you think you should be on medication? Like, because you're fucking nuts. Like, you, you know, every time they go away and they come home, there's a chainsaw running or something going, and they're like, just sit around for a bit. And it's not that I get up in the morning and say, oh, I think I should cut that tree down. Once I cut the tree down, I should probably actually split it. Once I split it, I should pile it. Once I pile it, shift. Now you got to get a whippersnapper that's in the way, and then. The next thing you know, like if you're at home, yeah, um, it, it, it's like that everywhere. Like it's almost like um, 
if I was nine years old still, somebody would have already cuffed me in the head this morning. Because, yeah. you know, you just like sit down and be calm. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that's uh, over time, it's an advantage if you can channel it. And it's an advantage that there's enough going on. Yeah. But where it's a disadvantage is I don't, there's no pausing. There's yeah. no like, hey, we just got $5 billion, guys. Like, let's do something fun. Right. We didn't even have that conversation. I was like right away with, so we need to have a plan on how we spend this. Right. We got it. Now we're going to spend it. Yeah. And we're going to spend it. What we're going to build? We're going to build here, 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 here. We're going to do this research. We can have 120 million bucks put into this research program. Boom, 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 boom. And you go, oh shit, we're going to need more than five billion. Yeah. And that didn't take very long to get this. People are asking me like, well, what would you do with five billion? And I'm thinking if I can answer that truthfully, I know what I could do with ten. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And 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 that was like. It wasn't like, oh, well, we listen, it's a $500 billion market yeah. annually, say. Mm-hmm. If you got $5 billion to tackle $500 billion, that means you're going to need more yeah. if you want to be dominant. Yeah. So that's how my brain went to it. Okay. Well, and, I mean, and so how do you think, you know, like, you're not obviously approaching retirement, but you've, you've done well for yourself. Like, how do you... How do you change that? Or do you always, like, are you going to be go, go, go? Uh, so remember at the beginning I talked about um, I kept being attracted to businesses run by entrepreneurs and wanted to work there because I thought if that person can work there, I could work there. Yeah. And so, like, this first specific one was Terry Matthews. And Terry's, uh, I think Terry's about 25 years older than me, mm-hmm. maybe 28 years older than me. Yeah. You see Terry sitting around much lately? He runs around mm-hmm. like a new lunatic. Yeah. And so um, I don't really, um, I don't think, and it's not that you go, well, I need work for validation. Nope, good there. Yeah. Uh, it's actually doing stuff, so you're doing stuff. It's mm-hmm. actually having meetings. It's actually creating things. It's like uh, being in the center, not at the edge. Right. Yeah. Well, let's, and let's go back to Terry, because so that was your first job out of, out of college, right? Yeah. With Terry Matthews. Um, he's co-founder of Mytel, obviously. Um, what did you learn from him? Like that was obviously you're you're a young kid at that yeah. point. You just graduated. What was what was that experience for you? Like what did that teach you? So um, I never understood how people knew what they what to do, what to build, yeah. to buy it. And so Terry was a great first person to work with because what I watched him do was go around and interact with a whole bunch of customers or potential customers, gather up what became really, you know five, six, three, four specific things that they all had as a common problem or an objective and then translate that into a product and go back to the people who made the products and say, here's what I want. Yeah. And then when you made it, you go back to the customer and say, I listen and here's what we have. Yeah. And so I, I pictured him like running around gathering disparate bits of light and then focusing through his lens and turning them into the lasers of four or five specific rays that were products. Right. And so... Um, that approach was one I said, I like that. Yeah. And he was very good at, um, and still is, pounding away at the message that you need to have very tidy books. Mm-hmm. You need to have to quarterly reports. You need to get people informed. And it couldn't be, it's not casual and it can't be incorrect. Right. And so I borrowed that from him. And I, and I worked, <clears throat> I kind of went around trying to collect entrepreneurs. Like if you think about Canopy, and one of my first investors, early investors, was a tech entrepreneur named Mike Copeland. Yeah. He started Corral and he's a PhD super tech smart guy. He'd been the co-founder with Terry Mytel. Yeah. I went and sat in his house and talked to him about what I was doing and why that was a good idea. And he invested. 
Hmm. Um, I'd uh, had a guy named Rod Bryden who'd owned the senators and stuff as somebody I'd worked with, and Rod had taught me a lot about how do you structure a transaction. Yeah. And you know anybody who's a critic of his is incorrect in thinking that he's unduly complicated how he does things. I think Rod is probably one of the people with the most like to make simple things every day long. Yeah. However, when you get up in the morning, you say, today I would like to figure out how to put a heart into a person that's mechanical with no wires connected to it and be approved. You don't do that on a simple basis. Yeah. Or if you say, I'd like to um, take garbage and gasify it and make electricity with no waste. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's, those are big ideas. And big ideas really do take more time, which often means more capital, which means you end up with complicated cap tables and structures yeah. just so you can do what you want to do. Yeah. And so in Canopy, we ended up with some pretty complicated things, not because I got up in the morning and said, how do I make a complicated deal? Yeah. Instead, I said, how do I get into America without getting kicked off the New York Stock Exchange? Right, right. Yeah. How do I do it without breaking any laws? Yeah. And what ends up happening is you create a very complicated structure to achieve a simple goal. Yeah. And so all of these folks, um, if you pay attention to what you're learning and think about how did I, what did I learn? Mm -hmm. what, was, what was the essence of that? Then you can take it and go clunk. And one of my most recent uh, extraordinary people I get to get ideas from is a guy named Michael Lee Chin. Right. He is, um, I think, one of the most interesting, clear-thinking entrepreneurs I've ever met. And uh, it's caused him to be very wealthy um, and very continuously. I think he's 68 or 69 now. Mm -hmm. He owns a huge chunk of the Jamaican National Bank, Guardian Capital, or Guardian Insurance. But he creates things. He takes mm -hmm. what everybody doesn't want in terms of what everybody wants. Right. He's not a magician. He doesn't do it overnight. But like his um, things I've learned with him are, I actually only like being involved where there's an information arbitrage. So um, that means start a marijuana company when everybody thinks it's a bad idea. Yeah. But don't do it because it's a bad idea because you just don't agree with everybody. Right. Um, with Rockify, the whole idea was that um, people saying, well, I don't like sleeping in an Airbnb. I don't want to go to someone else's house. And I'm saying, uh, I think you actually want to use everything in somebody else's house and have them ship it to you so that if you need a mix master, it will come from someone else's house to your house so you won't own it. Yep. And why do you want to own any of this shit? It's actually, you want to use it. Yeah. I don't want to store anything. Um, and so Rockify tackled what, over the last two years, has started to now look like a good idea, was a very bad idea three years ago. Right. Uh, and as of July, when it's launching, all of a sudden everybody's going, I totally don't need to have my own Mixmaster. I will just right. use yours, and you'll deliver it to me with an Uber and take it away, and that's exactly what I want. Well, and that leads to a very interesting question. Like, how do you motivate those early, like the team that you built at Canopy is, is really strong. And, and some of those folks joined you very early on when it was a quote unquote, to use your words, a bad idea. Yeah. How did you convince them to leave their stable jobs and, and whatever else for, for Canopy? Like what, yeah. what did that conversation look like? And, and, you know, well, it's funny. It's a good question because it, those are different conversations with each person. And what I mean by that is, um, if you're somebody who's got no obligations and, um, you know, your brother knew me and you've got a master's or PhD in something, you know, you might have a question, do you think you'll be able to pay me? Yeah, I think I can, so they'll move. But as you start getting to people who have really good jobs and they're really, like, um, uh, one of my early guys was a, 
uh, person who ran uh, live virus labs for Health Canada, meaning if you need a yellow mm -hmm. fever injection, that's a live virus. He ran the whole group and ran all that stuff. Right. He, I really wanted to have come on, and he would not come on until certain events could confirm there was enough money in the bank that he would get paid for a year. But um, once they do come on, I would sooner have those reluctant parties come across convinced than yeah. just people jumping in. And, uh, you know, that whole thing kept going. Like, it was probably two and a half or three years into operating, maybe almost four, before really good physicians, you know, like research clinical folks who had said, no, 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 I'm not leaving my good world until yeah. they would come on. Right. And so um, there was no single finish line. And even I would say, as you go to Europe, <coughs> the people who want to be involved, like in in each country, it starts with a negative perception mm -hmm. as it gets to be regulated. And the arguments are almost identical in any language, German or English, they're all the same. Yeah. And then what happens is um, somebody identifies a patient and the patient they identify usually is a kid. Mm -hmm. And the kid's usually really sick. And what the government's doing is fighting with a sick kid in the media about giving them something that could help them. Yeah. And I have yet to see a government win a fight with a sick oh, kid yeah. in the media. Yeah. And then what it does is it softens the hearts of a whole bunch of people who then will have a conversation with you. Yeah. And you know, I feel bad that um, it occurs that way, but I don't care if you're Australia to England, Canada to Germany. Yeah. It is always the same case where. Um, these folks decide that, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to fight with a sick kid in the media and that'll work out great. Never yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, and you, you, so you've mentioned a few different kind of, uh, you know, tech visionaries here in town, like Terry and Michael Copeland. And would you say that they're mentors to you? Would you say that you do have mentors that have kind of helped you along the way that you kind of bounce stuff off of, or is that more of an internal process for you? I, I'd say like, uh, for me, I don't have any questions I'm asking people, but I'm watching other people do what they do and trying to figure out how does that influence me. And so I'm, uh, my way is more like I try to gather a whole bunch of ideas and ways and patterns and think about which ones fit with me. Yeah. Um, and you know, you don't even have to meet the people to do that. And what I mean by that is um, I probably uh, have, I'm more fixated and interested in what Elon Musk is up to than Elon Musk is interested in it. Right. And people are like, why? So, like, the guy is, I'm fascinated about the humongous ideas that he tackles. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he does it like, nobody wants This guy actually lost it completely. Like, he's going to have, what, a Hyperloop and underground tunnels. He's got electric cars. He's got a super heavy capability spaceships. He wants to, like, Listen, man, if you started spouting off about that stuff right now in this meeting, I would try to sneak out the door because I think you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. But, but he's actually doing them. No, it's, yeah. And, and like, hi, I'm going to make a car company and take on all the car companies, which are going bankrupt because they have mega liabilities for their, uh, you know, uh, benefits package that is attached to being a unionized enterprise. And they only, what was it, 10 years ago, they all had to be bailed out. Yep. And I'm going to start a car company. Now, on the surface, that sounds bad, and it gets worse if you said, well, and it's going to be an electric car company, and there are no charging stations for any of this shit when I start this company, and nobody actually wants one. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And now they're complaining, like, can you get more out faster? Yeah. It, to me, that is an order of magnitude of stuff. Yeah. There, I can't think of any place else on the planet anybody else is doing bigger, more uh, sort of unbelievable goal stuff than him. Yeah. So you would say that 
your influence therefore is just kind of what observing others yeah you know, so seeing how they do it, what are their tricks, and yeah, but and, how, you know, and it confirms to me that there's no, there's nothing wrong with having completely outrageous, significant, serious ideas as long as you work hard and do them. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it's not on the same scale as a, you know, Tesla. But saying that I'm going to start a globally dominant marijuana company from a nowhere town in Ontario, Canada. Yeah. And it's going to be, uh, you know. I told somebody in the first year when I talked to him, I said, you should invest. This thing is at least worth a billion dollars very soon. And he went, I think you're nuts. <laughs> and he reminded me that. Um, I am like, what what Musk is doing is on a totally unbelievable scale compared to anybody else. So I'm fascinated how he communicates it. And I also find it really hilarious. Like nobody gets the jokes sometimes. Right. Like the dude that likes marijuana, marijuana is consumed at 420. Yeah. To say that you're taking a private at 420, to have a private 420 means that you're going yeah, to go... a lot of people miss that one. You're going to have a private 420? I howled, and then the SEC freaked out. I'm like, how do you manage that? And then you hear some of his board members apparently were getting uh, lawyers so that they could be sure that they had the right protections so that Elon didn't get them in trouble. You know how to fix that problem, get off his board. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. Um, like, it's just... Uh, there's nothing without him at the center of it. Yeah, you can't protect yourself from that. You have to just go with the flow. Yeah, well, and and you, it's interesting you brought up Elon. Um, obviously, those kind of grand ideas require a lot of capital. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard you say, you know, about VCs that you don't necessarily love the VC model. Like maybe yeah. can you exp explain how one a two part question kind of. How do you feel about VCs and the model, and 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 how that relates to entrepreneurs? Right. And two, if 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 the money's not coming from VCs, where else do you recommend right. to get it? So, um, WeWork's been in the paper a fair bit lately, right? They yeah. went public. Mm -hmm. How did their listing go? Well, not great. Right? They went out, and I go. Mm -hmm. So, uh, why? Everybody likes space. Busy, busy. What happens with VCs now is that they they essentially put so much money in and take so much value in the process of creating it, when the pub, when the company finally lists, the only benefit is they can get all their money back and more, but there's really not much juice left for the, the shareholders who buy in the new public offerings. Yeah. So what happens over a while, people are going to say, I don't want to buy that shit. I like making money, not just helping you, Mr. VC, make money. Yeah. And so um, I, the reason I don't love VCs are various, but um, the first one is that if you're going to list in the public company, you should have enough juice in this so that everybody can at least think to double their money. Yeah. And that is not the model for the VC. It is the model for Bruce. I want to go public. I did 16 rounds of financing. The last thing, everyone was an up round. Mm -hmm. um, in Martello, we did four rounds of financing. Everyone was an up round. Yeah. And so I think it's critical that you actually think about the who are you handing it to as a shareholder so they don't get stuck with a hot potato. Yeah. I don't like um, the VC model to me where it's funds and you have to squeeze everything out of one fund because you can't jump into the next fund. It's all money. So where's the money? There's more money now available to people who have ideas than ever in the history of the world. For sure. And they're enlarged. So some folks got really rich and they created up these things called family offices. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know about family offices when I was younger. Otherwise, I would have constantly asked any young lady I met, does your family have an office? Because <laughs> that would have been a good piece of information to know. Um, but family offices have a decision process that is about them making money and not running it. Yeah. 
So family offices are a great source of capital. Yeah. Before you get to the family office, you talk to the people who are almost having a family office. So they're entrepreneurs who have money. Yeah. Um, they're willing to bet on the, the property. So mm-hmm. uh, I've, in every business I'm currently involved with, Martello, Rockify, Canopy, Canopy Rivers, Canopy Growth, all these things, we never used a dollar from a VC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what I found is that um, if you don't concentrate your money coming from one source, you don't concentrate the authority that can go against you. Right. For sure. Yeah. And so um, I think uh, entrepreneurs should spend more time finding money from more people rather than sometimes getting it all from one party. And then somehow they always say, oh, it's great. I have the meanest, toughest VC on the planet in my company. Isn't that terrific? <laughs> you know, they put up saying the meanest, toughest VC yeah. has given me a whack of money. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds like you just got like a leash put on you. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting for me because we watch it and we talk, interact with so many entrepreneurs, and it seems like raising VC money is the holy grail. And it, I don't get it at all. Why yeah. do you want any of it? Yeah. Like, why do you even want one penny? Yeah. And I'm not saying like they're horrifically bad people or something. I'm saying the model is fundamentally flawed. It results in companies that are overvalued if they get to the public market and no one else makes money. And a lot of times they don't get to the public market because the VC model says, I'm impatient. Yeah. I want you to hurry up. I'll give you more money now if you can go faster and make it something yeah. so I get my money back. Yeah. And some of them don't. Some of right. them don't make it. So I, was, I, don't, I think the whole thing's crazy. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, and it's, it's refreshing to hear that view because uh, everyone else is so focused on VC money right now, so, which I, I don't get either. I have been avoiding it, and uh, I would suggest it should be almost like a, uh, a lender of last resort. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to think about it. Um, obviously, on, on the M&A side of stuff, you've used M&A a lot to kind of help grow your businesses, to help augment what you're already doing. I think Maybe. in the last six years, across those businesses, I'm approaching 40 M&A transactions. Right. So far. But so with M&A, yeah. right, um, depending what sector you're in, what the state of that sector, right? Like if you're in a quickly moving place, if you can cobble together pieces that turn into revenue faster or technology differentiation faster or channel, you buy them. Yeah. Um, if you're in a space that's mm, a whole bunch of smart people in small pods, but they're not all getting big, yeah. you buy them. Yeah. And so like Markello's acquisition target list is different than Rockify's. Yeah. It's different than what we're trying to do in different parts of Canopy, but I think you should look at every deal. Mm-hmm. If there's a potential, even a little bit, I don't like signing a um, NDA to look at it. I like to have a agreed term sheet. Like if your company is what you told me it's going to be, mm-hmm. this is the exchange ratio of what I'll pay you as a percentage of my company or cash, whatever it is going to be. Yeah. I like to write that down and have it agreed. Now I'll look at your company because I don't want to look at a company that I might like, but I don't know how much it costs. Yeah. And I don't want an NDA that I look at your company and go, it's all the same shit we did a year ago, and then have you start coming after me to sue me because yeah. I got your idea. No, your idea is not your idea. It's all yeah. the same. Yeah. So um, I think you should look at, like I, I would say, uh, probably way more than 100 companies that I actually looked at yeah. over the last six years. For sure. Yeah. Even this summer. This yeah. summer I had to parse through almost 200 companies to figure out which ones do I want to do anything with. Right. But that exercise is get your head down, get on a plane, go fly and see assets, yeah. go look at. But like, I think M and A, um, 
you can usually buy a dollar of value for less than a dollar. Right. That's a good way to think about it. And, and, and if you're doing that, it means that you're doing that information arbitrage thing that I talked about where yeah. other people don't see it the same way. Yeah. And so you got to say, how come I'm going to get more than a dollar? Right. No, that's, that's a good way to kind of think about it. So um, I guess last kind of uh, last question, you know, you've got a lot of stuff on the go um, and you're juggling a lot of stuff. How do you manage that with your family responsibilities and, and everything else that you've got? So, or, or do you just not? <laughs> well, I'd say I've got, um, as you get, probably the only thing that I should be using more of that I don't now mm-hmm. is as you get some success, you have a bit of a pool of capital, which means I should be deploying it to infrastructure. Right. And the infrastructure is that I need to get uh, at minimum, a couple of people working in a support administrative capability that can help on scheduling, on creating, a, I'll call it, the next presentations. Yeah. And then I need uh, a little bit more. I have a certain law firm that I use because I have a lot of contracts to review. Right. But um, where I am now is, I would say I'm light on infrastructure, which is causing a negative cycle, which means um, I'm not as orderly as I'd like to be. Yeah. And when that happens, then I'm not as mentally calm as I should be. Mm-hmm. And so by not getting my stuff together, I make myself a bit nuts. Right. Um, so I'm working on that. As far as the balance with family, uh, I've had more time at home this summer right. than usual. Yeah. I, I think that's, they like when I'm there, but I think they also like when I have other places to let stuff go. <laughs> um, you know, it. Um, I don't know that there's a work-life balance concept. I think um, everything kind of mushes together, and you yeah. just kind of you go with it. Yeah. Um, you know, like when I'm at home, I'm still wearing T-shirts for whatever company I'm involved with and having conversations about it. And right. last night I was at dinner, and somebody called me at about 7 o'clock, and I had to have a conversation for about 20 minutes about what they needed to do to get access to capital because I knew where they were. Right. Um, it did interrupt me being a very good guest or not uh, at the dinner. Yeah. But what I'm going to say, well, I'll call that guy tomorrow. I know he's not going to sleep last night because he doesn't have an answer how to get uh, capital, and maybe he slept last night now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I once heard work-life presence instead of work-life balance. Yeah. It's like where you are, yeah, yeah. present. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a great way to put it. Yeah. Like, can you focus on what you're doing when you're there? Yes. Yeah. So, it's great. Well, well, thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you for coming in. Really appreciate good working it. with you. You guys have worked with me on... I guess it's probably what four years now. Yeah, for four years. So um, it's been uh, you were one of our first clients. So yeah. it's uh, it's been a great relationship. and It's been great getting to know you over the last four years. So good. Well, thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Talk Appreciate to you later. It. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you enjoyed the interview. Definitely subscribe to our channel for our weekly news updates and future interviews. Have a brilliant week.